Welcome to the Side Hustle to Small Business podcast powered by Hiscox. I'm your host, Sanjay Parekh. Throughout my career, I've had side hustles, some of which have turned into real businesses. But first and foremost, I'm a serial technology entrepreneur. In the creator space, we hear plenty of advice on how to hustle harder and why you can sleep when you're dead. On this show, we ask new questions in hopes of getting new answers. Questions like, how can small businesses work smarter? How do you achieve balance between work and family? How can we redefine success in our businesses so that we don't burn out after year three? Every week, I sit down with business founders at various stages of their side hustle to small business journey. These entrepreneurs are pushing the envelope while keeping their values. Keep listening for conversation, context, and camaraderie. As a serial entrepreneur myself, I love talking to other folks who have the same passions. On the show today, I'm talking to Young Soo Chung. He's been here, there, and everywhere. From college in Maine, to working for a hot Silicon Valley blockchain company, to founding not one, not two, but three businesses in the last eight years. Also, he's a podcast host, but we're going to turn the tables on him and make him the guest today. Obviously, we have a lot to chat about today, so let's get into it. Young Sue, welcome to the show. Sanjay, thanks so much for having me on. So uh, I gave a little bit about your background, but why don't you give us like a 30-second overview about you and what got you to where you are right now? Sure. So I graduated in 2009, which I, if you if your audience remembers that time frame, it's uh, during the Great Recession, one of the worst times to graduate from college. And um, so I actually started my career on, on Wall Street. So because I've, I've been kind of, I was essentially like driving my career towards finance. So I did a bunch of, you know, I, did a, I did an internship at Merrill Lynch. I did one at uh, Goldman Sachs. And um, and then this whole financial thing happened. And then um, I was fortunate enough to get a job as a trader, uh, basically on Wall Street, like we were a block away. Um, and um, so I was I was there for about a year. Uh, and then I, I switched jobs to another um, trading company. This time I had a hedge fund in Midtown. So I did a couple of years of trading in finance. And then um, all during that time, you know, I was really interested in entrepreneurship and wanted to dive deeper into that. So I was just devouring podcasts and YouTube channels on entrepreneurship, startups. And I tried to, um, you know, I actually had some side projects going around that time, same time too, um, which all, you know, didn't really get anywhere. Um, but I really, you know, I, I tried reaching out to a few people in the startup community in New York City, but it just wasn't vibrant back then. And uh, maybe it's changed now since it's a little bit more, you know, more broad in terms of the community, but I just wanted to be in a place where, you know, I'll be right in the thick of it. So I bought a one-way ticket. This is in 2012 uh, to go to San Francisco. And um, so I, I flew <laughs> one-way ticket with just one suitcase. And I was with, uh, I was crashing. I only knew two people, a high school friend and a college friend. And uh, I crashed with him on the floor on an air mattress for three months. And, uh, you know, I basically needed to go see like a chiropractor after those three months for my back pain. <laughs> um, but it was challenging because, you know, I had no job and I had really no place to stay. Um, but, you know, I was eating burritos every lunch and it was, it was, it was an interesting time for sure. Um, and so I actually, I was able to find a job at a startup uh, and I stayed there for about two and a half years 
uh, and then um, decided to go into engineering. So a little more on engineering side, because I was, you know, because I was uh, essentially a, a, a trader analyzing stocks and all that. And so I went into the startup world as almost like a business development analyst. It was kind of like a makeshift position for me because I didn't really fit into any like bucket in the startup world. And so um, so that happened. Right. And then uh, I decided to go to um, an engineering boot camp called Hack Reactor. And that was 13 weeks. It was uh, eight, 9 a.m. till 9 p.m. Monday through Saturday. And it was the most intensive wow. learning experience I've ever had, including high school, college, everything. And to be honest, it was that period I learned more than I did during my four years in college. And um, yeah, at the end of it, I, I was fortunate enough to land a job as a software engineer at um, a company called Ripple, which is a blockchain company. And uh, from there, I stayed there for about a year and a half and then um, started dabbling in uh, in side projects again. And um, I actually bought a bunch of these really well-machined earphones. They're, they're made out of titanium. And I thought that, you know, I would sell these things on Amazon just to make some side income. Um, but then when I got them and tried selling them, no one was buying it. So, so I decided, you know what, I, I got to create my own channel. And so I actually, so um, my first business that I launched, and this is 2015, October, um, it's called Urban EDC, and EDC stands for Everyday Carry. So things that you would carry on a, on a normal everyday basis, like your wallet, you know, your, a pen maybe, flashlight. Um, and so that shop was, um, it, it launched actually out of a need to sell these headphones because I, I had so much of these headphones that were just not moving. Um, but yeah, that's kind of how, in a nutshell, uh, how, yeah. Yeah. How, how many pairs of headphones did you buy on that first? Uh, it was, a, uh, I think it was a hundred and these are not cheap either. These are like $300 headphones, right? Um, these are high end, high fidelity headphones. And I had to, so, so like $30,000 worth of commit that you had yeah. there. Um, why weren't they selling? Did you ever figure out why they weren't selling on Amazon? It was, it just, it was hard to find or nobody was looking for. So it? in retrospect, I, I think it had to do with, uh, the brand itself was a new brand based in the UK and it didn't have, so I believed in that company's, uh, you know, values and the headphones themselves were really high quality, but no one knew the brand and it was really hard to convince someone that hasn't heard of a brand to spend two, two, $300 on, on headphones. Um, and so that was kind of a good lesson for me early on, which is, you know, um, definitely start small. Like I, I, I shot way over, you know, what I, what I should have. Um, <laughs> and so that was a really good first, first lesson for me. Yeah. So, um, so that, that's a great entrepreneurial experience and you learned a lot from that. But I, first I want to ask you, um, was this your first time doing something entrepreneurial or did you do something when you were younger, when you were a kid, um, that was your first entrepreneurial attempt? Yeah. So when I was in New York, so we'll go back a little bit, uh, 2010 around there, I launched a, well, first of all, I, I started writing, uh, for a personal finance blog and I was getting paid $25 per article I wrote. And that was it took wow. me a couple hours to write. So it's what, 1250 an hour or so. I mean, that's like 
below minimum wage maybe <laughs> but um i feel like it was it was a good learning like it was a good experience to essentially like i wanted to own my own what like income i guess like because i didn't want to rely on the, the the paycheck every two weeks and so it gave me a taste of like okay well at least i'm getting something and it's like on my own uh and so that's kind of like my first taste of real money outside of a job uh like a safe job um that i was bringing in and then i tried to launch uh this is when the iphone was really taking off like the apps and so i tried to launch a couple of different apps uh on the iphone and i i outsourced uh-huh. development and you know that was really challenging um and then i pivoted into this um into like a an app that's kind of like i guess um a group chat this is before you know whatsapp existed before any of this existed uh, this is before facebook groups so this is like way back and so that was being developed but then uh facebook groups launched maybe a few months after i was working on this and i mean i can't I can't go up against Facebook, right? So, and I was, I was like outsourcing development. And so I, that was just not a good, um, it was not good to outsource like your core competency. Like if, yeah. yeah. So, I mean, basically it just didn't work out. Um, and so that was, those are my kind of my first forays into um, entrepreneurship. Yeah. Did you have um, experience of anybody else in the family that was an entrepreneur that you got to see? Kind of that lifestyle and, and how they worked. So, my dad is a doctor. So both my parents are are actually in Korea, and so um, I came to America when I was around eight years old. And then when I went off to high school, I went to a boarding school for high high school, and then they they uh, went back to Korea. So my dad's a doctor, and so he owns his own practice in Korea. And uh, my mom, she. Her side of the family is very entrepreneurial. So, you know, they run restaurants, they run cafes, a bunch of stuff. And um, I think that's kind of like where my entrepreneurial, I guess, instincts and the genes come from is, is on my mom's side. And so, um, yeah, I, I would say that's, but it's interesting because like if my, my parent, like if my mom, my mom was born, you know, when I was born, I think it, she would have a totally different business, but because she was born in that, you know, kind of more of an older generation. Like, I feel like that, um, like her setting up a restaurant was a very entrepreneurial thing, but you know, but now it's like, you want to do something online and all that stuff, but yeah. Right. Yeah. Yeah. That's interesting. Um, and that's a, that's an interesting point too. Although obviously we still see plenty of restaurants and things like that, but I think they're different than the kind that you're talking about that, that your mom, you know, started and ran. So, um, that's interesting. So, uh, okay, so you 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 launched Urban EDC because you had three hundred pairs of headphones you needed to unload. Um, what what made you make that transition from being a software engineer after spending thirteen weeks in a seventy two hour a week boot camp, which by the way is intense, and then to give that up and be like, yeah, you know what, I'm going to do this thing full time. What made you make that transition into doing Urban EDC full time? Yeah, so this is a really funny. Uh, thing because um, I had a lot of my colleagues thought I was insane, right? Think about it. Like I was literally, I'm literally a software engineer at in Silicon Valley at one of the hottest in, like trends or industries, right? Crypto. And then I, I quit that, and now I'm starting. I'm selling pocket knives online. I mean that that transition is doesn't make any sense, right? And so to be to be honest, I kind of 
I don't know. I, I just felt like um, I didn't want to be like right around that time when I quit, um, there was a lot of um, talk with regulators and there was a lot of like financial, I don't know, there's a lot of blockers. And I, I just felt this like, you know, I didn't want anything to block me. Uh, and so I, I, I kind of bet on myself that, um, you know, e-commerce shop is something that I can handle. There won't be any regulatory risk for sure. Um, you know, it's all about right. execution risk. And that's something that I, I, I could double down on and bet myself on. And so that's why I didn't want to like do like another blockchain project because that required building out a team and raising venture capital and just it gets a lot bigger. Um, but I wanted to just do something where I had control over my own actions and I was 100% accountable for the success and for the you know, the struggles of the business. And that's something that I, um, that I could take a, you know, take a chance on. So, um, yeah. Yeah. What, what was there a certain, uh, metric or like a level of revenue that you achieved with urban EDC that caused you to make that leap and be like, okay, yeah, I can do this and I'll, I'll be okay. Uh, or was it just like, you saw the writing on the wall of like, this is going to be painful doing this blockchain stuff. And, um, just like sleeping on the on the air mattress for three months, you're like, I just got to do it. So w- which one was it? Um, I think it was just well. First of all, ever since I, I was growing up, I, I wanted to start my own company, so that was like deeply rooted inside me. And so when I was doing finance, you know, I actually wanted to to start a hedge fund when I when I was older. And so like I already had like I was positioning myself as like starting something at some point. Um, and so it's just a matter of when. And for me, I because I had that long term view, I, I um, saved up a lot of money from um, from the the job I had, nine to five I had, uh, and it just felt like it was the right moment, like the right time to make the leap. And I'm not really sure, like if the feeling that I had is something that is can be like calculated. Uh, I don't think anybody it's, it's a more of a gut feeling, I would say, uh, for someone who has a side hustle, let's say to going a full time. Um, but I think it's just more of like signals that you get. Like, for example, um, I did I actually validated the idea as well. Like, you know, I actually bought some stuff off of Amazon, uh, to resell, uh, obviously not for profit, but just to test the idea that an everyday carry boutique store would resonate with the audience. And so, um, when I saw these little signals, I, I thought maybe, okay, this is something I can, I can, uh, you know, it won't be like a crazy idea, but I, something that I can control and something that I can like grow steadily month over month. And so, um, yeah, I don't know. It just was more of a feeling than anything else. Yeah. Did you, uh, did you build into yourself uh, like a, a cushion? Like, did you have some money saved that you're like, okay, I've got this amount of personal runway that I can use to, to make sure that I can uh, get this up off the ground. Yeah, for sure. So the personal runway is, is huge. Uh, so that gives you a, a sense of like, I guess a little bit of a safety net. Right. Um, and I actually pretty much went into the, you know, my, my urban EDC pretty much without, you know, without, I didn't build it up. Like I, I guess I had a little bit of a, you know, ramp up to it because I was building an Instagram account for urban EDC, uh, maybe starting around right. July, August, and then October is when I launched it. Right. Um, 
but I wasn't, it wasn't something where I dragged it out for a year, two years before launching it. Right. It was like, okay, I'm going to quit my job, which was uh, mid September. And then I had one month to work on it and fully launch it. And that was like the biggest, I was so motivated during that month. I mean, I must've, you know, it was just like, when you, when you just quit like that and you, you go all in on something like that really lights your butt on fire. Right. Literally like, yeah, you have to, you're like, okay, I got to make this work or else like, I'm not going to be able to feed myself or whatever. Right. So, um, so that I, I don't know if I recommend that path to most people. Uh, I think you, you have to really, cause it depends on how you react. So like if I react in a way where I, I freeze up and I get really nervous, I'm not, you know, I'm not productive, then, then I probably wouldn't have done that. But I know myself and I know that that motivates me. And I knew that it was going to just drive me to produce at a level that is unseen right before. So I, I knew about, about myself on that. And so I just did it because I knew I could just bet on myself. Yeah. How did you have, uh, like how many months of runway did you have personally when you went all in? To urban uh, six months. So six months yeah. of personal runway. Did you do anything before that to reduce your personal burn? Like, were there things that you were like, okay, I can get rid of this stuff and extend my runway by doing that? Well, you know, I, I didn't really have, I wasn't doing anything. Well, I guess I was like buying clothes and stuff, but I cut, I cut down <laughs> on that significantly. Right. Right. When I, yeah. when I left. And so um, you know, it's funny. I, I still have some of the the clothes from from those years, and I still like wear them. Like it's my style <laughs> basically has not changed for ten years. And it's funny because some of it is like coming back in style now. So I like went ten years, and then it's like back in style now. So it's like, yeah. It's <laughs> It, it seems to always happen with clothes. It's just the problem with that is, is that you're just out of fashion for a few right. years in between right. uh, while you're waiting for it to come <laughs> back around. <laughs> Support for this podcast comes from Hiscox, committed to helping small businesses protect their dreams since 1901. Quotes and information on customized insurance for specific risks are available at Hiscox.com. Hiscox, the business insurance experts. So, okay. So from Urban EDC, you've now launched two more companies. Um, tell us a little bit about those and, and why you decided to tack on even yeah. more to your plate. Yeah. So um, in 2017, uh, my wife and I brought home a French bulldog and uh, we didn't plan on doing anything with, with I mean, we, we just basically created an Instagram account and we just started posting videos and, and, and photos because obviously our dog was really cute and we're a little biased, but, um, he's a really, he's a really good looking French bulldog. Right. So, um, so yeah, we just started doing that. And then this is like 2017. So, uh, it, the space on Instagram wasn't as crowded as it is now. Uh, and, and his videos started taking off. Like one of the videos is like me cradling him like a baby. And like, you can see my torso like in that video. And so, and that's been viewed over a million times. So like my, my torso has, has gone, went viral along with, along with Humphrey. Right. Um, but yeah, so that video went viral and, um, from then on, we just kept going. And so after a certain point, we're like, okay, cause people were asking like, Hey, like, where did you get that leash or where did you get that harness? And so instead of like, wow. just 
giving, I don't know, just telling them, Hey, go here and buy it. We just thought, Oh, you know, we can do the same model that we did with urban ADC, but create it, but cater it towards dog enthusiasts. And so that's what, what we did. And so, um, my wife, um, she is the manager for uh, a dog shop called spotted by Humphrey. And so that's a play on word of, uh, spotted Humphrey is the, uh, our, our French, uh, Humphrey's, uh, Instagram handle and TikTok as well. And, uh, so it was a play on word of that. And so that, yeah, I mean, that was also really, really fun because, um, I mean, it was just like, we got invited to, to film a, a segment with Shopify. We got invited down to LA and the, the, I mean, we went to like a entire set and literally the team that was filming us had filmed a commercial for Google like the week, the week prior. <laughs> and so here we are, like we're, you know, we're my wife and I and our, our French bulldog, we're like going on the set and, you know, it was a full, like, it was like 15, 20 person camera crew. Uh, and it was just a crazy scene. And like, um, yeah, I mean, it was a really fun, fun thing that, that we did. Please, please tell me you had something crazy in your rider. Like I, uh, Humphrey only eats green M&Ms or something like that. Humphrey was, you know, Humphrey's actually pretty picky about his water. And so. <laughs> <laughs> only drinks Fiji yeah, exactly. water. Uh, you can he's only have Fiji water. <laughs> exactly. But he's, he's pretty snobby with his water. So. <laughs> oh, interesting. Uh, very, very picky dog with his water. Uh, so from the, those two then, um, you th- then also launched a third yeah. one. Uh, and I find this one interesting just because uh, of some of the side hustle things I was doing last year. Tell us about GrowthJet. Yeah, so GrowthJet is a climate neutral certified third party logistics company. And this actually came out because um, I had a lot of issues with with fulfillment myself with Urban EDC. Uh And like some stories like, you know, it's like we would get an email from a customer saying, hey, is this a joke? You you literally shipped us an empty box. And so I'm like, what? Like you got an empty box? And And he said, yeah, like I opened the box. I opened the, 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 the actual product inside and there's nothing inside. And I'm like, that's really weird. And so I like, you know, I was like, what's going on here? And it turns out like one of the people that, you know, the, the 3PL that I was using, like the, they had stolen the, the knife from the, the item from the box and shipped an empty box. And so, I mean, that's kind of, yeah. And, and so we, so I did a lot of research before picking this 3PL and this is the level of quality for like the highest rated 3PL. And I was like, the, the bar is so low. I can definitely do better than this. And so, um, yeah, right around the time we actually got people like asking us who's doing your fulfillment because my fulfillment is terrible. And so, um, the company actually launched with no name and no website. We already have, have paying clients. And so at, uh, at a certain point we're like, all right, we should just make this an official thing. And so that's when uh, growth jet mm-hmm. was born. That was in 2019 when growth jet was born. So, okay. So, and, and it's interesting, you take the tack of, of climate neutral, mm-hmm. um, which I don't know that I've seen at any other three PL, maybe there are, there are probably some others, but I I've not gone looking. Um, why did you decide that that was an important selling feature of, of this three? Yeah. So climate neutral, um, we, we are actually the first 3PL that is climate neutral certified. And um, it just, it was born out of the observation I made, which is like, there was so much trash and waste in the industry. 
And Mm -hmm. I thought that we needed to do something about it. And I always believe that value-driven businesses are uh, more powerful than just, you know, we, the way I put it is like, I see sales as kind of like oxygen. And so obviously you need sales and cash flow to survive, but that's not the reason why you are doing your business, right? Like that's not the reason why you're, you're living. And so uh, you need to have a mission and some kind of va- uh, like a value system to really drive you towards something. And that really helps with attracting the right employees, but also attracting the right customers too. And so if clients come to us and they don't, all they care about is like paying the lowest price ever, then like, we're probably not going to be the right fit for them because, you know, we do everything correctly. We, you know, with their employees and all that stuff. So, um, so yeah, we did go the climate neutral uh, route because I thought that was a very um, the right thing to do, first of all. But also it kind of resonated. This is right around the time when like all the California wild, um, the wildfires were happening in 2020. Uh, and, mm-hmm. and it was like, I mean, we didn't really plan on that this way, but it kind of got a lot of, um, you know, a lot of brands started thinking about their sustainable strategy. And, you know, it became kind of a like an advantage for us to, to be climate neutral certified. So it worked out for us, but it, it was definitely not planned like that. Right. It was just kind of like, okay, we, we should do yeah. this for the planet. And then it kind of helped us. Um, yeah. Yeah. So, um, okay. So now you've got these three companies, obviously growth jet helps you with the other two because you're, you're fulfilling your own stuff. Um, and then getting other clients to kind of help you scale that business. And that helps drive down the price for the other two. Um, but how different, and, and obviously now your wife is running one, so you're really on Urban DDC, and then I guess together on Grota. But how is it different for the two of you to run three mm-hmm. companies versus one? Like, how do you manage that uh, on a day-to-day basis? Yeah, so this is a really good question. Uh, the key is to delegate uh, not only tasks, because I think tasks is like a good first step. So people who are um, solopreneurs, it's totally fine. You should start off as a solopreneur, but um, once you start delegating tasks, that's great, but that's only the first step. The second step is delegating decisions. And that's a much harder step, but essentially you need to be so in sync with your team that you trust the decisions that they're, they're going to be making. And there have been instances where, um, you know, there were decisions made that I, I see, I know that there will be some issues with it, but I, I almost let those things surface, you know, surface because it's a, it's a, it's a learning lesson for the team. And so it's kind of like the old saying where you teach a man to fish, that, that kind of thing. Uh, And so you, you, you don't want to keep making the decisions for them because then you are the bottleneck literally like they can't, the team won't be able to do anything without your approval. And so that's been the, the really big key is, is have like a, a manager, a general manager in each area of the business making the big decisions. And then there's like teammates underneath that that um, will kind of report up to the the general manager um, who will make those big decisions. And of, of course, I will be involved as well, but it's not like every decision is me, right? So. Right, right. So that's, a, it, that's an interesting point. And I feel like that's a challenge for founders, right? Because especially when you're starting, you're involved in every single piece of the decision tree. And so it's, it's I think, the type A uh, founder that wants everything to be perfection, um, it's hard to take that step back. So how did you kind of think about that? And how did you force yourself 
to step back from those decisions? Yeah, this is a really, this is a decision that I think a lot of founders have to make at a certain point. But um, ultimately, you will not be able to get 100% of your own vision and thoughts of the company. But if you can get someone that's like a 7 out of 10 or an 8 out of 10, then mm-hmm. that's way better. And, and then you can focus on the, uh, your attention and energy on something else. Like that's way better than you working on something 100% on, on you know whatever project and then not being able to work on other parts of the business that need growth, right? So um, when you realize that, and it took me a while too, because I was doing all the product photography, I was doing all the um, you know, uh, product descriptions, everything. But when I realized that, you know, what am I, what am I doing? Like I, there's people who are way better at taking photos and editing them than I am yet. I hear I am spent <laughs> literally spending, I have to like wait for the perfect hour of the day where the light hits our coffee table just right. <laughs> and I'm like, this is, this is not, this is not sustainable. And so, um, when I realized that then it just made a lot more sense and it just helps um, your your growth will come when you start thinking this way versus trying to, it's almost like a fixed mindset versus growth mindset. Like you don't need control over every single yeah. little piece of your business. Like let the team do, do, do their thing. And then you can focus on other areas. So. Yeah. Yeah. Um, okay. Let's switch gears a little bit. Uh, I want to talk about the fact that, so your, your wife is involved in this, uh, you're involved in this, uh, I don't know if the dog is actually doing anything <laughs> other than taking pictures, but um, how how do you kind of manage kind of that work life balance? Because both of you are in the business, and so it's so easy to slip into talking about work when other things are going on. So how do you think about that, and how do you how do you build those kind of barriers or, or, or you know walls between all of that stuff? Yeah, so this is a great question. So um, if you set up the systems correctly. So for example, Urban EDC right now, I would say that's our biggest revenue driver. And I only work on Urban EDC for about an hour a day. And so I meet with my the GM for Urban EDC an hour a day and all the decisions that um, he needs to check with me, we just discuss it uh, and that's it. And so uh, there was a point um, when I felt like my day was almost like it was empty. It was a really weird feeling, but you know, I was running these different parts of the company, but it was just delegated and it was all the systems were, were set in place where I didn't need to manage those systems. And so uh, it was just running on its own. And so I felt like it was a good, so whenever these things happen, I always, I get bored. And so I start new things. And so every two or three years, I always start a new, new, new project. <laughs> and, um, and so, yeah, I mean, it's all about systems. It's all about the team that you surround yourself with. Um, it's all about, um, yeah, the, the, the saying that I always say is like, <clears throat> you want to, you, you run the, you put the systems in place and the systems run your business. So you don't run the business, the systems run the business, right? But you, you right. have to be the one that, that kind of like puts everything together, but that's it. Yeah. G- give us an idea of scale as to what you're at with, uh, urban EDC now, like how many people, how much revenue are, are we talking about at this point? Yeah. So the entire, well, the entire company is, um, about 20 people. Um, and, okay. um, yeah, we're getting close to eight figures in revenue and, uh, we Urban ADC by itself is, uh, say five to seven people. Uh, we have some employees that are contractors abroad outside of the U S 
um, that do very specific things. But um, yeah, that's kind of the the structure. Okay. Uh, and and folks are mostly remote. Obviously, the, the logistics side, yeah. you can't be yeah. remote. You got to be local. But w- what about the other other teams? Um, so, yeah, Urban EDC is actually almost fully remote. Uh, a lot of U.S. people, but then we have some um, okay. abroad. Um, and obviously, the, the growth jet um, company, we we don't have, we can't do remote. But I mean, we can, we can do some of it. Like, we right. can do some, like, um, you know. Like a, like sales or something, you know. What we could do stuff that doesn't require you to yeah. be in 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 the warehouse, but picking and packing boxes, <laughs> yeah, basically. Yeah, you can't yeah. do that. Yeah, got to be in person yeah, for yeah, that. Yeah, exactly. Um, but yeah, I mean, I, I think that we're gonna try to utilize more o- offshore talent because it's so expensive to do business in in first of all the U.S., but second of all in California, and then third of all in, in the Bay yeah. Area, right? So. Um, <laughs> it's kind of a triple whammy for us, but yeah, no, it's, um, yeah, I, I'm definitely going to start looking outside and, and, um, and also like the, just doing business here with em- the employment laws are, are very difficult to do in California. Mm-hmm. And so, uh, it's actually advantageous to, uh, look abroad and get talent that way. Yeah. So. Well, well, you know, young Sue that, uh, one way tickets still exist, so you can fly <laughs> anywhere else and, uh, I think maybe this time you wouldn't have to sleep on anybody's floor. Um, okay, last question for you before we wrap up. Um, thinking back about your time now, right? It's been a number of years. Um, is there anything that you would have done differently? Like knowing what you know now, is there something that you're like, man, if if I'd known this then, I would have done this this way instead? I think that the, the first thing, the lesson that I learned is to start small. So even if you're confident just just always test first um and the th- don't, don't buy thirty thousand no, dollars definitely not definitely not <laughs> uh and then i guess the second thing is like just put your ego in check and what i mean by that is um you know when you first start anything your friends and your colleagues will think you're weird and that's normal because you're you're essentially like going off the path of what regular employees are supposed to do, right? And so, uh, just being weird and being labeled as something else is is part of the process. And so, I see a lot of entre- future entrepreneurs. They're they're kind of they're worried about what, what others might think of them. They're worried about losing their identity mm. as like, you know, I am this person working for this company. But like, you don't have to worry about that like I, I would say like don't worry about what others think of you in terms of like your your title or whatever your accomplishments like just do what makes you happy and if like i mean honestly if 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 you being at that company makes you happy then like i don't that's like just keep doing that right but if you want to start a business <laughs> uh then don't be afraid of of shedding that identity uh and honestly like just embrace it because I feel like a lot of people are held by held back by that, uh, and, and the faster you shed your identity of that, the, the the better it is. So, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, great advice. I love it, Young Su. Thank you so much for coming on, Sanjay. It's been a pleasure. Thanks so much for having me on. Thank you for listening to this week's episode of the Side Hustle to Small Business podcast, powered by Hiscox. To learn more about how Hiscox can help protect your small business through intelligent insurance solutions, 
visit hiscox.com. That's H-I-S-C-O-X.com. And if you have a story you want to hear on this podcast, please visit hiscox.com slash share your story. I'm your host, Sanjay Park. You can find me on Twitter at at Sanjay, that's S-A-N-J-A-Y, or on my website at sanjayparek.com.